Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. Today, we have a great sponsored episode brought to you by the fine folks at Intuit. And I am here, as I often am, with my colleague and collaborator, Ryan Donovan. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. So the focus of today's episode is going to be talking a bit about design systems and language and how when you're working at a big, you know, sort of sprawling organization, you can tame that and make it work across multiple organizations through code and AI at scale. We have two great guests who are coming on the show today, Damien and Kelvin. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So Damien, let's start with you. How did you get into the world of software and technology and what led you to your role that you're at today? Oh man, it's a, it's a long story. I try to keep it short, but I'm 41 now. So from Brazil, originally from Brazil, living in California for the last 15 years. My beginnings in technology started in computer science at college and everything, but it really started with Flash. So I spent 10 years of my career designing and, and developing on Flash. And like for agencies, and it was amazing. And then I went to a big hackathon in in Vegas in 2011, I think. And then it was like 3,000 developers. It was probably one of the biggest ones in the U.S. And we ended up winning it. So after that, BlackBerry saw it. They were a big sponsor. And then I became a developer advocate for, for BlackBerry. Later, PayPal. And I joined Adobe. As a product manager in 2015, I helped like build something new from from scratch. One of the very like unique apps that were born like inside Adobe. And two years ago, almost two years ago, I joined Intuit as a product manager, also focused on on design, design systems, and always super passionate about like developers and 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 everything. But yeah, that's my short story. But a lot of ups and downs in, in, yeah. in the journey. <laughs> I used to work at The Verge covering technology and gadgets, specifically smartphones, and there were some colleagues of mine who really carried a torch for Palm or for BlackBerry, and you know, <laughs> they stuck with them to the bitter end. I don't know if you're carrying a torch for Flash, but you know, <laughs> great, great technologies in their time, for sure. Yeah, 100%. So Calvin, how about you? Yeah, my story is a lot more cliched. I have a very cliched like engineering Silicon Valley journey, went to school, grew up in the Bay Area. Uh, studied computer science. Intuit was actually my I think, third college internship at the time. So I went to Intuit, did my internship here. I worked for the, at the time, it was called the Intuit Partner Platform. So, you know, third-party services, API platform, all that good stuff. Really enjoyed my time here at Intuit. So came back to work full-time in engineering and I was working as like on a new flagship product for Intuit at the time called QuickBooks capital now and it was one of the founding engineers on that team and you know it's now a like a 600 million revenue like business so it's a really great product and team to be a part of do you get a percentage of that or that's not how it works on the i internet? wish no. i wish i did but you know <laughs> Too bad. It's part, it, it comes with the territory i guess yeah, <laughs> but yeah did that for a little while left wanted to change of pace went tried some other things worked at other companies um did my own startup for a little while covid kind of had me sort of reassess some of where my priorities were. And one of the things hmm. I was always fond of was my time here at Intuit. And so found a great opportunity to kind of rejoin the the Intuit Design Systems team here. And it's where I met Damien and been working on some really cool stuff since then. Very cool. Well, we're, we're here to talk about uh, design systems. Stack Overflow has a design system 
and I've worked for companies that had uh, pattern libraries. So what are the challenges that these large companies face that makes them turn to the design systems and other ways to kind of unify brand? That's a great question. Well, you didn't know Intuit is, I think, like a 40-year plus like company at this point now. We've been around the block for a while. And because of that, our products have always like evolved and changed with to adapt to effectively how consumers decide to use like all the products that we facilitate out in the world, right? The transition from desktop software to web software to now like more mobile-based software, et cetera. And one of the things that that has sort of been a great outcome as a result of our growth and being around for so long is that we now serve millions, hundreds of millions of customers, right? And what's been really a challenge for us and really a challenge for any organization as big is how do you unify the visual language for what you are trying to uh, build? How do people associate all of our flagship products within each other to sort of align back to what is into its brand and our ethos and our values and et cetera. And so, you know, the Intuit design system was formed to sort of help facilitate that, right? How do we ensure visual consistency, ensure the same brand identity, and also at the same time, still empower all of our product teams to really provide their own like character and even their own like unique, the lack of a better way to put it, their own sort of like, charisma to like the products that they and the values that each of our sub products preach like credit karma might speak to a different subset of users than than maybe some of our quickbooks counterparts and so how do we maintain that visual identity and our brand while keeping things very characterized for the the audience and the users that they serve so as you set out to build this where did you start from was it the architecture of how you're going to do it? Was it the language of the platform? Was it, as you pointed out, the essence of the brand itself? Like, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna just compliment a little bit on on Calvin's point. Like, developers really hate to repeat like the same thing <laughs> over and over. They're they're always trying to automate processes. You know, like any any opportunity to make it better. And as development teams grow to a thousand or to ten thousand, that desire that hunger like really grows right so it's and also from the from a business perspective every big company tries to to improve processes and optimize really like focus on productivity right so a design system really helps there so it avoids really creating duplicates in theory it's this beautiful thing that everyone follows and it really helps the business but in reality there are a ton of challenges, like political challenges, technology challenges. In our case, we have the different business units. They are very independent. So we're dealing with different tech stacks. We're dealing with different design styles, and they are serving different customers. I'm a product manager. Kelvin is an engineering manager. Our main customer for IDS, for Intel Design System, is the developer, the internal developer, and the internal designer. Right. And eventually we want to like have more presence outside as well. But now answering your second question, uh, this whole idea that we're talking about today about the infrastructure that we have in place and everything really started with us stepping back and really getting closer to our, to our customers. So we spent months just running research and, and speaking with like all of these customers, designers and developers, understanding their pain points prioritizing the, the the problems that they they mentioned we we watch them work and Intuit has this 
process, this internal process called Follow Me Home that started decades ago. And even before design thinking was like a thing, it's used until this day. So every new employee has to follow a customer, has to really, not in a creepy way, but like in an, like really watching and, and capturing like pain points and finding opportunities to improve. Really, we are allowed to spend time really understanding the problem and the whys behind the problem. And that was the, the beginnings of, of everything. So I guess, yeah, like I'm, I'm really fascinated by the way you put that. What were some of the sort of political or organizational challenges that you were able to identify and then solve? And how does, you know, technology, whether it's AI or code, help you solve, you know, problems like that at scale, break down the silos and make sure everybody, like you said, feels empowered to be able to automate and save time even while maintaining their own identities? Yes, yeah, that's, that's a great question. I really feel our customers, they're always trying to... to find better ways of developing of like shipping code and and really like running the business but because in our reality our business units are very independent you can imagine different teams some new some old running different tech stacks different processes different customers so it was very very challenging for us to really create something that could be used by everyone so that was one of the biggest findings right so instead of acting as a dictator and saying, hey, you have you have to use this or that, this version of this component library or this Figma library, we decided to serve them the best way possible. So we are doing the all the hard work, and we can talk more about the infrastructure, but we are doing all the hard work of let's store everything in one place. Let's make sure that whoever is consuming the system can get that information in a very contextual way. So a designer using our Figma plugin, working for QuickBooks, will only see QuickBooks information. They will not be distracted by TurboTax or uh, Mint. You know, it's really contextual. It's very easy to switch a theme. There's a lot of uh, infrastructure work there, like tokens and all that to make it all possible. But we are trying to contextualize that consumption experience as much as possible. And then there's the other smaller audience, but super critical audience, which is the system editor. You know, every every business unit has a smaller team that has designers and developers that are responsible, like to really maintain the system for their their business. And we are also serving them, and we have tools and and all that. Yeah, one thing I wanted to echo on from Demi's statements is, as you know, engineers don't like to repeat themselves, right? And so one of the biggest things too is, but at the same time. What engineers don't want to spend time doing is reinventing the wheel, but also they want to make sure that this, the tools and the components and the libraries that they use are predictable and adhere to sort of the standards and rules that they're familiar with. There's going to be situations and times where the stuff that the design system provides to our engineers might not best fit their needs, whether it's like an edge case we haven't accounted for or there's something about it that just doesn't quite fit their needs. And so really our biggest shift within our Intuit design system is to really not try to solve for every single use case and every single product and every single team's design principles. What we really are trying to do is shift more to a platform strategy within our design system. I think that's something that's very different from what a lot of enterprise companies are doing with their design systems. And what I mean by establishing a platform system is we provide a baseline of components. We provide a baseline of themes, foundations, style guides, etc. But if folks want to deviate from that path or teams want to deviate from that path, 
as long as they adhere to the same tooling, the same infrastructure, and the same mm. uh, principles that we preach, then we're all good for it, right? One of the obliging guiding principles of design systems are tokens, design tokens in particular. Design tokens are considered like the source of truth of every design decision ever made in, in a design system, which is like, you know, colors, typography, foundations, place gappings, et cetera. And so if a team wants to deviate from the components, for example, that we provide them, as long as they use the tokens underneath the hood to build the UI widgets or components that are most compatible for them, that's cool because they're still adhering to IDS or in the Intuit design system at the end of the day. Can you all talk a little bit more about how AI plays into this? I think for me, that was one of the most interesting things, having seen the pattern library and design system and wondering how AI can help out you know, unify that in a large organization, bunch of products. Yeah, the, the same way that we are incentivized to really explore the, the customer need and really spend the right time doing the research into it has this huge focus on AI across the whole company. We are always trying to unify or make make all the technology available to everyone that's that's working at into it and one of the things that any design system or any i would say any ai to work well with is some sort of pattern some sort of structure right that that will help the ai make all the decisions so it's it's a design system is extremely critical for that at least in the beginnings and then there's a lot of customer facing tools and and internal tools that that use ai to to accelerate our processes so we are in the in the beginnings of that process for the design system. One example is that we are now bringing to IDS that type ahead kind of functionality, right, for input text fields. It was created by by one team, and now we're promoting it to IDS so a lot of other teams can 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 consume that in a more standardized way. So that's going super well. And again, I just wanted to highlight that the same freedom that we have to get closer to the customer, we have to explore and build things for, for AI cases. Calvin, what you said about giving folks the sort of freedom to build things that work for them as long as they stay within certain parameters is really interesting to me. Ryan and I interviewed some folks from Spotify recently about their backstage tool. And one of the things I thought was most interesting about that was it was about a large organization. Uh, you don't always know who owns what within you know, the tech stack, but you, know, you want to be able to easily identify that and make sure that you can find the information you need or make a change without breaking something. And they allow folks to build sort of plugins, and then you know, the plugin takes you back to sort of the source of truth or the owner. So as folks are doing what you mentioned, you know, maybe changing up to an individual component that's more useful to them, but adhering to the token... Are there arbiters of that? Do they have to put in a, a pull request and get it approved by a certain person? Do they have to run it through a review process? Like how much freedom do they have and how much, you know, is that sort of gated to make sure there, you know, nothing breaks or nothing goes too far outside? It doesn't color too far outside the lines if we're going to use design terms. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. So I sort of see two aspects of the question is one, how do they adhere to the design guidance and two, how do they how do we as an engineering organization ensure that we're sort of not keeping tabs, but like our understanding and understanding and seeing exactly the type of changes that they're making. So I'll answer the latter first, which is on the engineering side of the coin. One of the things that's one of the things that's really unique about Intuit is that we have sort of operationalized to an extent 
a lot of the services or UIs or plugins or web apps or what have you that are being built within the entire organization and ecosystem. A great example is so let's say you're a team building a brand new component, a brand new UI component. We have a data lake where effectively anyone who builds a new asset and an asset in this case could be a component library or a node module or whatever. All its metadata gets persisted and funnels into this data lake. And what this means is that even anything that it depends on, any dependency it depends on, so things like this component might actually rely on, let's say they're building a brand new text field type ahead component like Damien alluded to earlier. They need to use our text field component in order to make that happen, right? Just by specifying that dependency in their project and deploying that code, we get to see through the data lake which assets and which other teams and components are using the libraries that we have provided them. And from them, that's how we sort of provide this sort of governance model, but also ensure and provide support where we need to to folks to make sure they adhere to the parts of our system, right? Are they using tokens internally? You know, which tokens are they using, et cetera, et cetera. So we provide that kind of like rich metadata internally to kind of keep things like checks and balances like in order. And on the design side of the coin, maybe Damien can speak more to this one, but to provide a bit of a summary there, there we we have effectively like the steering committee within the Intel Design System team. And there's every like large product unit, like QuickBooks, TurboTax, etc. They all have representatives from each of their organizations for the designers that represent each of those organizations that we call like embedded designers. And they all meet regularly in, a, in an OpMex to sort of discuss and see what X is on the radar, what are things we need to be looped into, here are proposals we want to make to the team on something we want to up-level to the actual into a design system, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's true. And, and this is where things can get a little tricky, right? Uh, when I mentioned political... We all know design is subjective, right? So anytime <laughs> a design decision is needed, if you run it by committee, things can get really slow, right? So we are learning as we go. So we, in this journey to start serving our customers even more, we created this big infrastructure that instead of running locally on someone's like machine, all the transformations, all the storage is behind our API. So we have this design API that stores everything and it will serve Figma in our, in our plugin for Figma and it will serve a VS Code extension that we're building for, for developers in VS Code. But one recent learning that, that was pretty interesting is a couple of quarters ago, we decided let's, let's work with one business unit and let's bring their mobile components to IDS in a way that it can be shared to all the other business units. And then we learned that that worked for that specific business unit, but other business units were not consuming it because the tech was not matching their tech stack, right? So it was just not possible. So what we're doing now, pivoting in this in this scenario, we we are developing a lot of the components and we're developing also a very solid contribution model. So we have processes, we have for both design and development. So the idea is let's promote our component in a way that it can be used by everyone. It's themable, it's, it can run in different stacks and all that. And then if people find something missing, there is a process for them to contribute to. There is a way for them to add their code, their design to make it to the system. So that's what, what we're doing now. You've talked a lot about the uh, the collaboration, obviously designs a lot of collaboration. How do you you do that sort of 
collaboration on new items, like if there's a new component needed or if there's a merger acquisition, like how do you get new things into the system? It's easy, right, Calvin? <laughs> no, these are very these are very good questions, and these are problems that we're actually tackling with on a regular basis, and we are refining these things as we kind of go along. And I think, as Damien mentioned, one of the things we were able to do recently there was um, to even give like anecdotal evidence. There was a situation recently where the concept of a table, if you think about an HTML table, that's something that's existed forever, right? But tables run the show for a lot of the products we have internally. QuickBooks uses tables everywhere, for example, TurboTax's tables. A team came to us and was like, hey, we built table. How can we actually up-level this up to IDS to ensure that this is something that's become standardized within the Intuit design system that anyone can now use, right? Because they built it to fit their use cases. How do we up-level it to go to, uh, to fit the use cases for some of our other products? That was a big component at the end of the day, required a lot of coordination, required a lot of like design specs and et cetera. And for that, it was really a great learning lesson for us to really understand what are all the nuances that are involved with up-leveling something this large to other products and other uh, teams, but also what does this contribution look like for someone on the developer side of the coin and someone on the design side of the coin, and even someone on product who wants to implement something using this in the future. And so to Damien's point earlier, what we've really done is we use this exercise to really craft this contribution model where, you know, in its MVP format it is right now, not to get too much into the details, but you could think of it kind of like a type form sort of setup where it's like based off the current path that you're on in terms of the type of level of contribution you want to make and a level of contribution can be like, I have designs, but no code. I have code, but no designs. We sort of help guide the user on a path that best fits them and take them to the right folks within our organization and team to kind of help them figure out that next step, right? Design no code. Okay. Uh, have you reviewed the designs with our design team? If so, let's review it with the, with the engineering team to see what's next. If the code's ready, cool. How do we review the code first and then take you back to the, to our design partners to make sure they know everything coming down the funnel? Have we accounted for all like use cases, all businesses, all, all themes, Right. And so that's something we're also figuring out as we go along, especially I think with the latest acquisitions we made with MailChimp. That's something that we also like investigating and looking into and et cetera. So it's a learning process, but I think we have a solid plan to like kind of scale this out long term. I was going to say I had read up a little bit about uh, your bios um, and see a few things in your backgrounds, but just curious outside of work or as inspiration, what are the things not related to maybe work or software that you find inspiring from the design front? You know, like, are there things that you take inspiration from or particularly interested in? Great question. I think design, I think in today's modern age of 2020 plus, like the year 2020 plus software, design has become sort of a minimum requirement now to really go from zero to one. I think in the early days, in, in the early 2010s or early, even earlier 2000s, it was very it was highly experimental. People threw things on the wall, see what stuck. If you have read the Lean Startup or understand Lean Startup principles, there's a lot of theories around what does it mean to build an MVP? How do we build something minimum viable, maybe even unappealing, but can solve a subset of problems <laughs> for a user right. you know, in the best right. way, fashion or way possible? And I think we've, we've, we've hit this juncture point where a lot of the principles that they preach are still valid today, but I think there's, there's even this even higher bar now from a visual 
consistency and visual design standpoint that needs to be met in order for someone to even consider adopting whatever it is that you're trying to build, right? I think that's something that I've been really much more interested in understanding and really understanding what does it now mean to build an MVP in 2022? Yeah. I can't just ship a half-baked product in Times New Roman on an HTML page and people will find that acceptable today. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. You know, we're in a funny new era where like interest rates are going up and down and my dad sent me over to... He said, oh, you should buy some treasury bonds now. And he sent me to Treasury Direct. And I mean, like the website has not changed since <laughs> 1999 or whatever. And it was hard for me to, to trust it, to like believe that it wasn't a spoof site, you know, because it like, it doesn't fill up the whole page. It's in these awful colors. And you just think like, I'm supposed to give like my money to the, to this. And like, I'm going to, you know, this is the government. It's like, right. Without design, it's very hard for me to want to utilize that product. There's sort of a credibility factor I feel like is tied yeah, totally. to, the, to the design of something you ship nowadays. And, you know, not to be cliche, but in today's era of short attention spans, if something doesn't catch a user's eye immediately or provide and provide value immediately, you're dropped instantly. And so that's been, I think, a huge sort of area that I'm also trying to explore more and understand more of really what it takes to how do I build something? Yeah, minimum, viable, but also nice looking. You know, yeah. To me, it's uh, I'm fascinated with product management, and to be super honest with you guys, our design system as a product is still looking for product market fit. We're not there yet. We're getting like amazing signals. The Figma conference that we presented, now the VS Code extension that we're building, a lot of excitement there. But making something that works, like making something that people want, mm. is extremely hard. And it takes a ton of iterations, right? Shipping, really pushing that to production is just the beginning of it. There's so much more than needs to happen. And the only way to get there, as we learn here, and I think we're closer and closer, is really by understanding the problem deeply, iterating, and really good design, simple workflows. It's almost like survival. Like if you don't do that, you're going <laughs> to die as a product uh, that yeah. simple it's it's much harder but again shipping is just the beginning that's that's my my biggest thing it takes months and years to get to adoption all right i like it shipping is just the beginning All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. I am going to shout out someone who came on and helped us spread some knowledge around the community. Today, I will give a shout out to Red Velvet, who was awarded the Great Question Badge. You get a Great Question Badge if your question gets a score of 100 or more. What is the most efficient way to remove the first N elements in a list? It's always the most basic questions that go on to help the most people, in this case, 165,000 people. So appreciate it, Red Velvet. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us, podcast at Stack Overflow. Or if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find the blog at stackoverflow.blog. And if you're looking for me on Twitter, you can find me at Arthur Donovan. So my name is Kelvin. Uh, you can find me uh, on LinkedIn in slash Kelly Vin spelled K-E-L-Y-V-I-N or on Twitter at Kelvic Dress, K-E-L-V-I-C-T-H-R-U-S-T. I'm Damien Borba, product manager here for IDS. And you can find me LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Damien Borba. 
And we can talk about design systems and, and surfing and, and product. All right. Well, thanks to both of you for coming on and everybody who's listening. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.